Hi, I'm Ewan Blakey, Senior Pastor of Oasis Church. I hope this message gives you hope and helps you take your next step on your Christian journey. We'd love to invite you to come and see us in person at 10 a.m. on Sundays or join us live every Sunday on YouTube. For more info, visit our website, oasischurchperth.com. Nevertheless, this morning we're beginning a new series on the Bible and I'm kind of kicking it off this morning. My name's Colin Craggs. Um, I um, run one of the small groups um, here. It's a small group um, and uh, love it. I love small groups and I want to promote small groups for you. Jordan has been doing an awesome job of that. So just a shout out to that guy. Um, got a lovely vision for it and is taking it great places. So I want to encourage you to get involved in a small group. As the church grows, as the church gets bigger, we want it to get smaller. And we do that through connecting through small groups because that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you can really challenge one another and be challenged yourself. But this morning, we want to talk about the Bible. And there's lots of different kinds of Bibles out there. Um, some people are like King James Version only. Some people are the nearly inspired version, the NIV. Um, there, are, there are lots of different kind of Bibles that are out there. And to say that this book is not central to our faith would just be a gross misunderstatement. This book has transformed life after life after life. People have died to get a hands on this. We take this for granted. We have it in our phones nowadays. We have access to hundreds of different types of versions. This book transforms lives. It is crucial to our faith. Dallas Willard, a great statement of the faith, a statesman of the faith, who was really big on spiritual formation and being like Christ, he said once that he didn't know anyone who had deep spiritual maturity that didn't bleed the Bible if you pricked them. Understanding this book is critical to our faith. Now, with that said, I'm kind of wanting to take a slight different perspective with it because I want us to have a little bit of some warnings about this book and some of the dangers we have with this book. So to kick it off, I want to just give you some good white middle-class male balding, not bald, balding <laughs> evangelical guilt. Thank you. So in Joshua, at the beginning of Joshua, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, only be strong and very courageous. So God's talking to Joshua here. Only be, be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So here's the warning to Joshua. Be careful. Do it right. You've got to get it right. If you're going to have prosperity, if you're going to succeed in life, you've got to get this right. And from that, we kind of say, You've got to meditate on it. You've got to meditate on this. How often? Day and night. So then we, we kind of encourage you to have a quiet time. 
read through this every year. You know, are you reading through your Bible? Are you memorizing it? Are you meditating it on day and night? Can you feel the guilt? <laughs> then Psalm 119, longest psalm that's there. You know, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. You're struggling with impurity. You've got to get into the word. Got to get into the word. Verse 11, I've stored up your, your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Struggling with sin, you don't struggle with sin. If you struggle with sin, you need to get more into the Word. Oh, how I love, verse 97, it's a long psalm. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Are you meditating on God's Word all throughout the day? Then we have this image, social media, because we're going to add some social media guilt. So here's the image of social media. Um, Total 340 minutes. This is an Australian survey done. 340 minutes per week spent on social media. If you are a man over 65 years of age, only 83 minutes per week. If you read your Bible 83 minutes a week, you would get through it in a year. Have you got through your Bible in a year? Can you feel the guilt? If you're, by the way, a woman aged 14 to 24, you can get through it in a week. Right? Like, like, so, you know, we don't, we, we all have time. We all have time for God's word. Do you feel the guilt? See, to say the Bible is not central to our faith, it is. And we do need to know it and we do need to understand it. And, and in many ways, we do want it to be case if someone pricks us, we bleed God's word. But there are some warnings that I want to kind of put out there because the Holy Spirit penned these words through people. Jesus, when he rose from the dead and he's walking on the road to Emmaus, he meets a couple of disciples and they don't recognize him. And Jesus, beginning and working his way through, he talks about how the Messiah had to come, suffer, die and resurrect. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, it's me. He pointed to the word of God. It is central to our faith. The Word of God does help us to find life. It does help us to find wisdom. It is correct what it says to Joshua, that if we want success in our godliness, understanding this book is really good. We want to study it. We want to learn it. But I want to give three warnings about doing exactly that. Some things that we do want to be careful when it comes to the Word of God. And the first one is, love the Bible, but not more than God. Carolyn's uncle, godly man, one of those guys, you know, you prick, he bleeds the Bible. But this is what he said to me when I was a young Christian. He said, Colin, you hold that book up to the light, you'll block out the light. Don't let that book get in the way of God. And I'm like, at the time, I'm thinking, really? Like, you know, I thought you were one of those mature Christians. Carolyn said so much about you. You're warning me about this? But as, as I've gone along, I discovered that some people describe the Trinity as the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. It's not. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But for some people, they put 
this book even in front of God. Even in front of God. This kind of, this kind of thinking about the Scriptures around the, the 18th century, it's kind of late 17th century into the 18th century, humanity as a whole went through a period where everything was spiritual and there was revelation and, and across the globe there was this sense of the spirit and the divine. And then along came a group of philosophers that began to elevate reason and that we call the enlightenment, the age of reason. And during that phase, it was, well, we're going to turn away from the things we don't understand and only believe in those things that we do. And so, so much of this book, because it could be studied and it could be understood, began to, well, what do we understand? And out of that, we got biblical criticism and we, we got a whole lot of excellent things when it comes to the Word of God. But what got left behind was the Holy Spirit. What got left behind was relationship with God. What got left behind was this salvation to our core. And what became important was, do we understand this? How do we come to understand this? And unfortunately, the enlightenment has continued where loving God with all your mind was put as the highest. And we need to do that but it got point put up to the, not only the highest, but the only criteria. And yet the word says we are to love God with our mind and our heart and our soul and our strength. Loving God with our mind is important. Knowing this book is important, but not at the expense of encountering the Holy Spirit and listening to the Spirit who speaks through our word, speaks through our community, speaks with promptings. It wasn't until 1901 when a young woman, Agnes, had this experience at a Bible study group where she began to speak in tongues. And people were like, well, that doesn't fit our understanding. And then this whole wave of the charismatic movement came through where people began to realize that it's the Spirit that speaks in this book. It is the Spirit who penned these words, who gives power of these words through Jesus Christ. The enlightenment is good. Knowing God is what it's about. That relationship with God. The beginning of Psalm 119. By the way, Psalm 119 is all about loving God's Word. But right at the beginning, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. You know, if you miss kind of the second half of verse 2, you miss the whole point of Psalm 119. The whole point of Psalm 119 says through the law of God, through the written word of God, we get to seek God. We get to understand God. The whole point of the Bible is for us to find God, understand God. So we don't want the book to get in the way of our relationship with God. We want this to point us to God. Sometimes people treat it 
like a good book, a book of wisdom, almost a magical book. If we do all these right things, God must act in a certain way. It's not a magical book. It's a book that God has revealed himself so that we can understand how God thinks. We can have the mind of Christ. Through the renewing of our mind, we can begin to partner with Christ and understand and discern the voice of the Spirit. Blessed are those who seek him. Jesus said this in John 5, 39 to 40. He's speaking to you know, the Pharisees and the scribes, people who knew the Scriptures. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees knew their Bible. The scribes knew their Bible. They'd write it out. The Scriptures do not hold eternal life. Jesus holds eternal life. It is through Jesus that we have eternal life. These words were penned so that with our mind and our hearts we may understand who God is, who the Spirit is, who Jesus is. We've got to be careful that we don't put love of the Word over love of God. That's the first warning. The second one is learn it, but be careful of pride. Be careful of pride. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church about knowledge. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. That was one of the things the Corinthians were saying. So it's, a, um, it's a heresy that the more we know, the more spiritual we are. And so the Corinthians were saying, all of us possess knowledge. We all have understanding. And Paul's comment was, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We've got to be careful as we do learn the word of God that we don't become proud. Pride is the beginning of a very bad fall in our walk. We want to stay humble. We want to stay humble before God, before one another. So in one sense, we want to get in it. We want to study it. We want to learn it. We want to understand it. But we've got to guard ourselves against pride because pride will undermine our walk every time. It was the learned that had problems with Jesus more than anyone else. They knew their Bibles, but they didn't know Jesus. They believed that the truth will set us free thinking the truth was understanding. But Jesus said, I am the truth. The truth is this, but more importantly, Jesus is the truth. He's the one who sets us free. Knowledge can leave us proud. So knowing the word of God is good, but it can lead to pride. And there's two ways that pride turns up. The first way is I condemn others or I look down on others because they're not at the level that I would like to be. They're not spiritual like I would like to be. So I kind of look down on them. That's an easy way to see pride. Other people often recognize that pretty quickly. But there's a second kind of pride that's a little bit more subtle. 
If you are reading the Bible through a year and you miss a day and you beat yourself up because you think you're better than that. When you are living the word of God and you're like, man, I'm not living up to that. You beat yourself up because you think you're better than that. When you're memorizing it and you're struggling, you think, I should be doing that. I should be memorizing that. And you're beating yourself up because you think you're better than that. One of the beautiful things we get to do as Christians, particularly in small groups, because, you know, you just can't publicly confess sins out that you're working through. It doesn't quite work. But when you're with a group of people where you have that trust and that confidence and that confidentiality, where you can go, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I remember one group I was in, this guy comes into the group and he goes, guys, I'm struggling with homosexuality. He just put it out there. And I remember thinking at that time, that's not something you'd probably want to say publicly when this guy was getting ready to go into full-time ministry. But how do, you, how do you bring out your sins? How do you say, I've had an affair? You do that because you have a group of people that you trust, that you can share with, and you have the humility to go, I'm not living up to this. And to be in that place where there's no condemnation, we don't want to shoot our wounded. Instead, we want to build up because love builds up. But often it's when we condemn ourselves. And when we condemn ourselves according to the word, there's only two responses to that. Either I deny it, I'm better than that. We deny it to ourselves and we lie to ourselves. And that never leads to healing and growth. Well, we come clean to other people. We enter into the grace that God's community can offer. Knowing God's word is a good thing. It brings life. We need to guard against pride and letting it get in the way. The last thing I want to say to do with gluttony of a weird thing to say about gluttony in the Word of God. But we want to consume it, but we don't want to consume so much of it that we have gluttony. See, when we have a joy of an activity, it leads to satisfaction. It's a good thing. But then often we end up pursuing it because of the pleasure rather for what it's designed to do. Food, for example, is a fuel. God's designed food to be pleasurable. So we eat food and it's pleasurable and, it, and it's nice. But when we begin to eat for the sake of the pleasure of it, we're now moving into the realm of gluttony. We're no longer eating it for its design purpose. We're now eating it and distorting it. We can do that with the Word of God, where we begin to pursue it because it makes us feel good. Now, food, God's designed food so that it's good. But there are times when we just consume, 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 consume. We just keep consuming the Bible. We just keep reading it and studying it and memorizing it. Because it feels good, we're pursuing the pleasure of it. But what are we actually doing with it? 
Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus continues, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus says the difference between the wise and the fool is that the wise man does it, and the fool just hears it. This book was not written for us to just know. It was written so that we would do, so that we would act. It doesn't matter how many calories you consume, if you are burning them off, it's not gluttony. Michael Phelps apparently would eat 10,000 calories a day. An Olympic swimmer. And I eat 10,000 calories a day. That's gluttony. But that's the point. We want to read this word. We want to study it. We want to grow in it so that it transforms us. And one of the best ways to do that, and I'm not kind of plugging small groups this morning because I believe that when Jesus pulled 12 men together to walk with Him and grow with Him, because it was the best vehicle for us to grow and change together. When we're in a group of people that are helping us to apply the Word of God, eyeballing us and saying, hey, how are you going with that? Hey, you're studying that. What are you going to do? Man, that kind of changes things. I want to encourage you, if you're in a group, lead a group. Nothing will challenge your consumption of calories of the Word of God than trying to help somebody else to grow. Jesus said, follow me. We want to be disciples of Jesus. But when He left, He said, go and make disciples. The goal of the church is not just to be disciples of Jesus, but to be disciple makers, to help one another grow, to lead others as they follow Jesus. Why? Burns a lot of calories. Burns a lot of spiritual calories. Let me finish with this story. Years ago, I heard of this karate instructor and the mother came to him and said, look, you know, my son started smoking. Can you talk to my son? And he said, I'll speak to your son about smoking in two weeks' time. So after two weeks, the instructor went, hey, smoking's not good for your karate training. It's not good for your lungs. Quit. This little kid really respected the karate instructor and went, not a problem. I'm going to stop. And the mother said to the karate instructor, how come you wanted to give him two, two weeks before you spoke to him? And the instructor said, I had to quit first. That's what happens when you're leading a group of other people in knowing this book. You will be challenged with, what am I doing here? What am I doing about this? Burns a lot of spiritual calories. Let me finish this. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them there is eternal life. But Jesus said, I am eternal life. This morning, if you have not 
trusted in Jesus, if you have not entered into that personal relationship with Him, where you have received Him as your Saviour, where you've allowed Him to be Lord and run into His kingdom, then join me in this prayer. This prayer of saying, Jesus, I receive you as my Saviour. Let Him bring you into eternal life. Let's pray.